This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done, and you make a neat plan for the people who are still alive. I'm not even angry. I'm being so sincere right now. Even though you broke my heart and killed me, I'm trying to. Welcome to another exciting episode of Pretentious Internet Theatre, the show so leet that it doesn't require wrapping paper and it can't fit in a box, but it is the greatest gift you can give anyone. I am your host, Andrew Cook, and of course, you can contact me at thepitpodcast at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at pitpodcast, and become a fan of this program on Facebook. In this program, I have a gift to all of you, leet listeners, who are still here, despite the controversies with trying to get back on iTunes and Stitcher, or whatever the kids listen to for their podcasts. And we also have me reading some holiday specials. And by holiday, I mean two Christmas stories and a New Year's. Reading these stories this time of year reminds me of a quote, and it's by Gerard Kinst, who said, I don't know what's in the box, 
hopes. But I love it. Unopened gift contain hope. Of course, this hope is so desperately needed, especially around this time of year. Let's get on with our stories, shall we? Pretentious Internet Theatre proudly presents the Final Fantasy Christmas Special by Meroku-san. Part 1. The Quisty Crawl's Gift-Giving Fiasco. Quistis walks in a white room wearing a skimpy Santa Claus outfit made of red leather. She sits on a chair in the middle of the room along with her whip. Welcome to the Christmas special. I'm Quisty Claus. Even though it's not Christmas yet, I'm still going to give presents to my best friends. Squariona, Sifa, Cell, Sethi, and Irvine magically appear in front of Quistis. What the hell are Squariona doing here, she thought. Miroku-san, the author, suddenly appears behind Quistis. Whispering to Quistis, she says, Just follow the script. You can murder them later in the fit. Out loud, Quistis shouts, Woo-hoo! Everyone, everyone then stares at Quistis weirdly. Quistis shouts, What? Fulfilling her promise, Miroku-san disappears in a swirl of green leaves and merry soup. Surprised, Irvine says, What's with the leaves? Quistis quickly gets her composure back and says, Today I'm going to give you special gifts from the bottom of my heart. Everyone cheers in excitement. But first, Quistis has a dramatic pause, Someone's been naughty. Quistis cracks a little on the ground and laughs evilly. Everyone stares at her for a moment and focuses on the gift again. Burks, then he walks over to Quistis. I haven't been naughty, Christmas, she says. Of course you haven't been naughty, Christmas replies. We've been best friends in some weird fan fiction author's thick. Suddenly, Miroku-san disembodied voice is heard. Hey, I heard that. Everyone looks around in confusion. Here is your present. Christmas hands Selfie a present with pink wrapping paper and a yellow bow. Surprised by the present she got, Selfie says, What is with the cheesy wrapping paper and bow? In a rage, Quistis yells, just take the damn thing! Sorry! Selfie suddenly disappears in a cloud of smoke and Zell walks over to Quistis. Zell, looking at the ground, says, I might have been naughty. Whatever, here's your present. Quistis throws a huge box at Zell and ends up knocking him out. A huge bump on his head. Zell cries, I want my mommy! You are! Quistis is now laughing her ass off. Ha ha ha, what a party! Zell disappears, still crying, and Irvine walks over to Christmas. Irvine, smoking a cigarette, says, I've been so naughty. I want you to punish me. Please. Christmas, not really impressed, says, Well, you're sort of cute, so I'll give you this. Irvine quickly opens it and gasps in delight. Oh my gosh, thank you. A Barbie doll from my collection in my room with the Barbie fan club. I have to call Seymour. Irvine gets out a cell phone, pink flowers all over it, runs over like a rabbit fangirl into the distance. Christmas quickly focuses her eyes on Sifa. Now it's time for me to give presents to Sifa. Sifa, now excited, exclaims, You got me presents? Course I have, silly, Christus replies. A huge truck comes out of nowhere and piles a million presents on Sifa. Sifa, now buried in a sea of presents, says, Thanks, Quisty! Thinking, Christus says, All for you, babe. Sifa and the sea of presents disappear. Noah walks up, Christus. Quistis suddenly looks pissed off and annoyed. Minoa, with her eyes full of hope, says, Did you get me any presents? Quistis replies by saying, Of course I have. Close your eyes for your special present. Excited, Minoa says, Oh goody. Minoa suddenly covers her eyes in anticipation. 
Princess with an evil grin on her face puts a small detonator on Rinoa's bra. Rinoa's surprise says, what is this? Christus is now laughing nervously and notices that Squall isn't even watching. He's too busy playing marbles with himself. Then she takes out a switch with a big red button from her pocket and pushes it. Rinoa blows up into a pile of blood and guts. <laughs> Squall, noticing the pile of blood and guts, says, what happened to Rinoa? Christus suddenly answers, um, Rinoa did a magic trick and turned into a pile of blood and guts. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I see. Rinoa sure is clever. Christus sighs at Squall's utter stupidity. What a moron, she mumbles. Now it's time for Squall's present. Squall jumps and starts doing cartwheels. Yay! Then he walks up to Christus like a little girl, twiddling his thumbs. Give me! I want my present now, now, now! Christus starts getting pissed and says, Okay, here's your present. Christus takes out her whip and lashes Squall's ass. A loud crack echoes everywhere. Ouchie, that hurts! I'm telling my mummy. Squall begins rubbing his ass and sucking his thumb. Christus, with an evil laugh, exclaims, Your mama's dead! <laughs> Squall runs away, crying like a baby, while Christus is still laughing evilly. After Christus is done laughing, she notices that Squall is gone. Oops, I forgot to murder Squall. She takes out a pitchfork and pursues after Squall. Come here, Squally, I got a present for you. Squall then screams in terror as she sees Christus with the pitchfork. Mummy, I'm scared. Squall's screams are heard in the background, as well as other gruesome sounds, and it is silent. Christus returns with the pitchfork stained in blood. Yes, I killed them both! Let's party! Rokusan, along with Sipa, Selfie, Irvine, and Zell, suddenly appear and begin partying with Christus. A disco ball is suddenly there as well. Rokusan says, That sure was fun! Have a Merry Christmas, and wait for part two of this fic! Everyone is now dancing under the disco light, they're not even noticing Squall and Renoa's misremembered bodies. Woohoo! I'll say that was the best chapter in fanfiction I've ever read. Chapter 2. WTF, a lump of co. Riku, Yuna, and Lulu are in some strange random house with several Christmas decorations, including a tree with a ton of presents under it. Glimmering lights, stockings over, crackling fireplace, and some cookies and milk on the table. Riku suddenly notices the cookies and milk, devours them in a flash. Riku, with a face stuff, says, Delicious! Santa's way too fat! Eat these anyway! In disgust, Yuna says, What a slob! Oh, I forgot to say. What are we doing in this house anyway? I have no idea, replies Lulu, but look at all the presents under the tree. After eating the cookies and gulping down the milk, Riku says, It's Christmas Eve! Let's open them! In agreement, Lulu says, We should open them. Nobody else is here. Luna disagrees and says we shouldn't. Let's wait until tomorrow. It wouldn't be right. Lulu pimp slaps Yuna and says, Shut up, you. We're opening them. Still a disagreement. Yuna says, Hell no. I forbid you to open those presents. Do you think I'm going to listen to you? You got another thing coming, missy. Lulu then Z snaps her fingers. Well, if it weren't for me, said Yuna, Final Fantasy X wouldn't have a sequel and make more money. Now, would it? Really? You're going with that point? Alright. Miku shrugs her shoulders and says, She does have a point, Lulu. Lulu then bitch slaps Riku and says, Don't take her side. We're opening them. 
or else. All of a sudden, Lulu's eyes begin to glow red. Everything in the room starts to shake violently. In a panic, Luna says, all right, all right, let's open them. Lulu, who's now back to normal, says, I thought you were going to say that. Yuna, Riku, and Lulu rush to the Christmas tree to check the tags on the gifts. Riku reads a tag that says, to Riku, from Titus. Riku shrieks in delight. Look, yeah, I got a present from Titus. You know, who's very pissed why the hell would he get a present to you? I don't know, Riku replies. Go ahead, no it. Decent dissipation. Riku quickly tears the wrapping paper shreds, opens the box. To her dismay, the gift that Titus gave to her was none other than a lump of coal. What the hell? Why did he give me a lump of coal, that piece of crap? You and Lulu are speechless. Titus suddenly walks into the house wearing a Santa's elf costume. He is covered in bits. Titus, who's very confused, wonders to himself, Why am I in this house? Why am I dressed like this? Is the moon really made of cheese? Yuna and Lulu begin rolling on the ground in uncontrollable laughs. Ha 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 ha! Titus is an elf. All he needs now is the pointy ears. Riku, with an evil grin on her face and steam bellowing out her nose, charges towards Titus and puts a lump of coal up in his face. Titus, you will die. Why did you get me this freaking lump of coal? Um, it's not a lump of coal, replied Titus. It's dark matter. Riku shouts, Holy bananas! Not a disbelief. I have no idea. Thank you, Titus. This will go on my pretty rocks that I don't even bother needing and will never use collection. Titus gives a sigh of relief. Yuna suddenly notices a gift marked to Lulu from Waka. Hey, look! This one is for Lulu, and it's for Waka. Lulu is instantly shocked and snatches the box from Luna. She quickly opens it. Oh. My. God. Everyone is now intrigued, says, What is it? Lulu turns around with tears in her eyes. It's a vibrator. I've always wanted one. Lulu begins to cradle the vibrator in her arms back and forth. What the hell are you doing, Lulu? said Titus. And everyone who's ever read this? Waka suddenly walks into the house dressed as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, antlers and all. His nose is actually blinking bright red. He waves at everyone and says, Sup, ya? Everyone is staring at Walker. Actually, his blinking red nose. Um, will you stop staring? Why are you dressed like that, Walker? Says Riku. It's for Christmas, da, replied Walker. Walker notices the vibrator that he gave Lulu in her arms. She is still cradling it. I see you got my present, Lulu. Aren't you going to try it? Tonight, replied Lulu. I can't wait. Everyone is now staring at Lulu and Walker in a very strange manner. Titus is now puking in a corner. Oh, my virgin ears, he moans. Walker and Lulu both say, show's over, folks, nothing to see here. Everyone's still staring at them. Stop that. Errol suddenly walks in as Frosty the Snowman. Everyone is laughing insanely at the sight and begins singing Frosty the Snowman. Okay, guys, you've had your fun, says Aaron. Aaron then notices some of the presents opens and shouts, What are you doing? You're not supposed to open those until tomorrow. Everyone goes up to Aaron and pimp slaps him one at a time. Aaron's face is now rosy pink. Lulu then notices a present with green wrapping paper marked to Yuna from Seymour. Hey, this is you, Luna. It's from Seymour. Yuna, face full of scorn, takes the present. God damn it, I guess I'll open it. Yuna opens the box, and she sees a beautiful diamond ring. 
Lulu throws the ring to the fireplace. Lulu screams in horror. Why did you do that? It was a stunning ring. So what's your point, replied Yuna. You could have given that ring to me. Seymour suddenly comes in, sobbing like a little girl. How could you do that, Yuna? That ring was for you. I thought you loved me. Yuna stood there, silent, until she finally said, Um, no. Sorry, Seymour, but you annoyed the hell out of me, and I hate your guts. I mean, look at your hair. Seymour strokes his hair with cheerful disposition. How could you say that? My hair is beautiful. Everyone shook their heads in disapproval. What are you talking about? Your hair is extremely ugly. Seymour began bawling and ran out of the house. You guys are so mean. I guess my only friends are Bobby, Ken, and Irvine. Back in the house, everyone was laughing until Yuna got a brilliant idea. Hey, let's go throw snowballs at Seymour. Everyone cheered in agreement. Everyone began running outside. Seymour was still crying as he was about to leave the driveway of his house. The front yard of his house was completely covered in milky white snow. Without Seymour looking, everyone began to make snowballs. When everyone got their snowballs ready to throw. Yuna began a countdown. One, two, three. Fire! Which would be a count up. One by one, everyone pelted Seymour icy snowballs. Seymour screamed in pain after each snowball hit him. Stop it, you meanies! Wah! After that, Seymour fainted and fell into the snow. Disappointed, Riku proposed. Hey, let's go tie him up with Christmas lights and hang him upside down in a tree. Everyone laughed evilly after hearing Riku's idea. Aaron, Titus, and Walker picked up Seymour and put him back into the house. Everyone began wrapping his body with sparkling Christmas lights. Everyone then brought Seymour back into the front yard and began tying him to a nearby oak tree by his feet. This is going to be so funny, chuckled Aaron. Sure is, replied Titus. Even more that one time we dropped him into a pit of crocodiles. Seymour is now completely covered in Christmas lights and hanging feet first in the tree. Everyone is laughing uncontrollably until Riku got another idea. Let's turn him on. Everyone then stared at her in disgust. What? stuttered Riku. I meant the lights. Everyone gave a sigh of relief. Lulu then found a cord and plugged the lights on. Seymour glimmered in green, white, red, blue, and yellow. What a beautiful sight, yeah, said Walker. After the spectacle, everyone proceeded back into the house to open the remaining presents. Miroku-san. The author appears, floating in front of Seymour, still unconscious. I will kill Seymour. Miroku-san disappears for a split second reappears with a bucket full of kerosene. She drenches Seymour with the kerosene and lights a match. Seymour ignites in a huge fall of flame. Eek! As Seymour burns in horrible pain, everyone back in the house is drinking eggnog and sitting by the fireplace, sharing the holiday spirit. Somebody help me, it burns! Chapter 3 The New Year's Party Tifa, Eris, Cloud, Sid, Red 13, Yuffie, Vincent, and Katsith we're lounging around in the Seventh Heaven Bar. Almost everyone is drunk and saying weird random things. Eris and Tifa are the only ones who aren't drunk. And Barrett, I guess, is somewhere else. This is boring, says Tifa. Yeah, replied Eris. What the hell is everyone doing? Tifa points at everybody still chucking down sake and cheap beer. She notices Cloud flailing his arms around. His eyes are bloodshot, and he is foaming from the mouth. And I says to him, You better shut up, or I'll omni-slash your face. With a deep sigh, 
Aris says, is bragging about how he beat up Sephiroth for two hours. Vincent, who is also extremely annoyed, says, can somebody shut him up? Tifa gets an empty bottle and grins at both Aris and Vincent. Watch this, it'll be hilarious. Tifa slowly creeps behind Cloud and smashes the bottle on Cloud's spiky head. Shards of the bottle fly everywhere and Cloud falls to the floor head first. Everyone laughs at Cloud's unconscious body. Pointing at Yuffie, Eris says, If you thought that was strange, you should see Yuffie. Yuffie sitting in a corner with a bottle of sake in her right hand. Her cheeks are bright red and a loud, scratchy voice. She begins to sing the Twelve Days of Christmas. Oh God, no. On the first day of Christmas, my truly... My true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. With earplugs on, Tifa says she intends to sing the whole song. Also with earplugs on, Tifa and Vincent wail, Oh, the agony! Yuffie continues to sing the song until it is over. Oh, thank you. Yuffie bows, thinking everyone enjoyed her degrading performance. Thank you, everybody. I'll be here all week. Tifa grabs Yuffie by the hair and throws her out of the bar. Gliding through the air, Yuffie screams, You won't be hearing the last of me. I'll be back, fools. Tifa then throws a bottle at Yuffie's head as she flies out of the bar. Yow, you bitch. Tifa wipes her hands and gives a sigh of relief until she smells cigarette smoke. What the hell? Who is smoking in my bar? Harris and Vincent point at Sid, who is smoking a cigarette by the jukebox. Tifa walks up to Sid and punches his gut. Cigarettes are not allowed in this bar. Didn't you read the rules? Sid shrugs his shoulders and said, No, I guess not. Pissed, Tifa shouts, If you want to smoke, get out of my bar. Crossing his arms, Sid shouts, No, I'm staying. That's it, household. You'll be kicked out of here forever. What? You can't do that. Yes, I can. Get out. Sid begins to cry as he runs out of the bar. You're so mean, Tifa. I'm telling Shira. Laughing, Tifa exclaims, Fine, I never liked you anyway. Your limits sucked. Tifa returns to the bartender's area and gave a deep sigh. Serves him right. I only allow cocaine in this bar. Eris squeals in delight. Cocaine? May I have some, Tifa? Eris puts out her hand, and so does Vincent. I want some coke too, Tifa. Tifa gets out a hammer and smashes both of their hands as they pulled out. Vincent and Eris both scream in pain. Hell no! I'm the only one that can sniff coke. Tifa then puts Eris in a bag and sends her to the City of the Ancients. UPS is so helpful these days. Confused, Vincent says, Why didn't you just send me as well? I guess I didn't want to. I always hated Eris, replied Tifa. Sitting at a nearby table, Catseeth raises his glass. More, damn it! Tifa throws a bottle at Catseeth in anger. Get it yourself, you bum! Rubbing his head. Catseeth says, Fine. Never liked this outfit anyway. Katsith unzips the back zipper to reveal he's Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Tifa screams in joy at the sight. Hey, it's that weird Disney kid. Hey, it's that weird Disney kid. Let's take his clothes and Keyblade and auction them on eBay. Sora screams in horror when he sees Tifa slowly walking towards him with drool coming out of her open mouth. Oh my god, I'm so out of here. Sora puts himself in a bag and sends himself to the Destiny Islands. Tifa cries in horror. No, come back, weird Disney kid. I want that Keyblade. At Tesora's cameo, Red 13, who's sort of drunk, says, I guess this wasn't much of a party. Vincent nods in agreement. You're right. Let's go find some booze. Riku-san, the author, suddenly appears in front of Vincent and Red 13 in a swirl of pink cherry blossoms. What the hell?
hell's with the cherry blossoms? I asked for leaves, stupid ninjas. Vincent and Red Thirteen look at each other in confusion. What's the author doing here? Whoops, replied Miroku-san. I forgot to say, you better party now. I'm running out of ideas. Tifa gives another sigh. Yeah, this story is sucks. With a gasp, Vincent exclaimed, It does not! Vincent tackles Tifa to the ground. Tifa, with her voice muffled, says, Okay, I'm sorry. How thoughtful of you, Vincent, says Miroku-san. It's a late present for you. Thanks. Vincent opens it, and it's a book called 1001 Ways to Skin an Ancient. Wow, here I come, Eris! Vincent then runs out of the bar to the City of the Ancients with an evil grin plastered on his face. As soon as he is gone, Tifa begins to pray. Vincent, I hope you find and kill Eris because she took my cloud away. Skin her good. Mwahaha. Looking at the bar, Red Thirteen says, I just noticed, where is Barrett? Oh crap, I forgot to put him in the story, replies Miroku-san. I have bad memory, you know. Tifa raises a glass and proclaims, A Happy New Year to everyone! Along with Tifa, Red Thirteen says, And a Merry Frickin' Christmas too. Miroku-san raises his glass in agreement. This isn't exactly what I expected for a party. The end. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed those holiday specials, and for the gift that keeps on giving, you can become a fan of Pretentious Internet Theater. You can follow us on Twitter at PitPodcast. And you can email us at thepitpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, always remember that there is much drama on the internet, but only the best gifts come from pretentious internet theater. Night, pleasure, it's all yours. If you're wondering about the names, I'm not married to them. Probably change. Merry Christmas. Cindy was always the type to look for trouble. Albeit of her own purposes. She skated home. She tried to ignore the catcalls of three rowdy men drinking beers in the bank parking lot. Looking at the bank herself, she noticed a female walk across a lit window. Lights suddenly turned off as she coasted past. Turned the corner to enter the parking lot next door and ducked under a ledge. She slid her fingers nimbly around a combination lock and turned and unlocked it. Moving it aside, she unzipped a small compartment inside and removed a small blue mask. The mask was big enough to conceal part of her face. Hey, baby. She heard in a slurred voice call. What's a pretty thing like you doing all alone in the night like this? She peered over the ledge saw that the three had indeed found a new target to harass. She slid the mask over her face and pushed the button of her phone receiver she wore on her ear. Call Maya, she whispered. After two rings, the person on the other end picked up. Where are you, she heard. Cindy whispered, I'm at the bank. She saw the woman try to walk briskly to her car, about ten feet down from a curtain hiding place. Only for the men to block her path. She asked, Mom and Dad home? Yes, and they think you are too. I'll be back soon. I'll call the cops in about five minutes. More time than I need, Cindy said. The call disconnected as she pulled herself up and kneeled on the ledge. Meanwhile, one of the men called out. All sorts of creeps out tonight. The woman fumbled in her pocketbook, and she saw one of the men walk behind her. You're not going to get mace on us, are you? She heard the man behind her ask. 
The one in front reached into his pocket and pulled out a knife. Why don't you get a few drinks and see where things go from there? They laughed, none of them noticing the girl above them, holding on to a pipe beside her and crouching. Please, the woman meekly begged, I just want to go home. The man behind her quickly lunged in, groped her breast, and covered her mouth. The woman screamed into the hand of no avail. Mm, very nice, the man said as she slid his fingers under her blouse and along her bra. She dropped her purse and froze, a wave of powerlessness of overcoming her. Oh, I think we're going to have a good time tonight, the third one said. You looking for some action? They heard a voice call out. It echoed from the parking lot, and the man with the knife turned towards it. He looked up, at his cheek met a knee that descended from above. He fell to the ground with a sickening thud and dropped his knife. The other two men froze. They saw a masked woman dressed in blue jeans and matching denim jacket. Here comes a new challenger, she called out. The man behind the woman pulled back and reached into his jeans. You bitch, the man in the ground called out. Cindy responded by sliding her skate backward and kicking him in the throat. Duck, she called out. The man behind the woman ducked. Not you, stupid, she said as she slid past the still frozen woman and slid her electric blue wheels to a skid, lifted her leg and kicked him below the waist with her momentum. As he doubled over, she pivoted like a ballerina and drove her knee into the side of his skull. She turned to the third man and saw him start to run. She grinned as she pushed her electric blue wheels against the asphalt. She removed her blue backpack from her shoulders and swung it over her head for a few rotations. She built up speed as she tossed it over. It caught him on the back of the knee as he collapsed on the parking lot. She slid over to him and skidded to a stop as he pushed himself from the ground. That's it, bitch. He responded as he turned and unleashed a punch to her ribs. Cindy grimaced as she struggled to maintain her balance. The man lunged in and tackled her. Halloween is over. Caught his breath as she reached into her jacket and climbed on top her her grabbing her arms and driving his knee into her hips. The sound of a small metal cap distracted him for a second. She pulled her arm out from her jacket and pulled out a small can, spraying its contents into his eyes. She wiggled free from his grip as he screamed in pain, covering his eyes. Trick or treat! <laughs> Sorry. Trick or treat! She said as she drove her knee under his chin. She skated to her backpack as she took his shirt and wiped his eyes. She reached inside it quickly and grabbed a bundle of large twist ties. Still struggling with his vision, she caught her blurry image approaching. He caught a blurry image approaching. He swung wildly and missed by a mile as Cindy kicked him behind the knee. After he fell to the ground, he heard a strange zipping sound something tearing into his ankles. It registered that he couldn't move his legs as she leapt and drove her weight into his back. That clued him off, okay. The force of his forehead slammed against the ground and knocked him into dreamland. She slid his arms behind him and pulled another cable tie from the bundle held in her lips. She frisked him quickly and reached into his jeans. 
What have we here? She said, feeling a bit of metal. <sighs> she pulled out a 9mm from his jeans, checked to see the safety was still on, and skated to her backpack. She called over to the woman as she stuffed the gun in the pack. Time? The woman was too shaky to respond. No shit. <laughs> Time? The woman was too shaken to respond. She skated over to the man that groped the girl, tied him in a similar manner, and pulled out a nickel-plated Beretta from his jeans. This will pratt a pretty penny, she said before giggling to herself. Slindy slid the gun into her backpack and asked, are you hurt? The woman shook her head. Cindy nonchalantly skated to the third man and tied him as well. <coughs> then she reached into her backpack and pulled out a metal canister. Time, please. Cindy asked again. The woman glanced at her watch. 9.35. Just whip out your phone for crying. Cindy nodded. The police will be here in two minutes. Are you in any condition to make a statement? Yes. Cindy picked up the knife, folded it, put it in her pocket. Good, she said, shaking the canister, the marble jiggling inside. She moved the cap and spray-painted a heart on the parking lot. Don't worry, it's junk. The woman leaned on the car and struggled to catch her breath from the dramatic ordeal. She asked, who are you? I'm a guardian angel, Cindy said, as she sprayed an angel wing by the heart. Guardian Angel, the woman repeated to herself, still working on the name, Cindy said as she finished a second wing on the other side of her heart. Cindy capped the spray can and slid it in her pack as she heard sirens approaching. Still working on my disappearing act, too, she said, looking at the woman. The woman nodded. Thank you, she squeaked out as Cindy pushed her skates along the ground. She started around a corner 30 seconds before blue lights flooded the parking lot. Cindy pushed against her skate. <laughs> what the fuck? Cindy pushed against her skates against the ground as she felt the grimace from the bruise on her ribcage. Breathing in the cold night air made it sting a lot worse than it felt. She coasted a bit and saw her shadow rise and fall on the street ahead of her. Didn't do much to keep her mind off it. A few blocks from home, she rested against the dumpster of her local convenience store. Looking at her watch, she saw it was about 9.45. Looking at the legs of her jeans, she saw that a bit of blood was forming a nasty spot above her knee. She grimaced at the slowly growing pool. She figured she got nicked when she made her entrance, but knew enough about laundry to get a little blood stain out. Pushing off the dumpster, she grunted a bit as she felt her shoulder tear a bit. She would reevaluate her wounds a little more properly as soon as she got in the shower. Sliding on the road in front of her house, her legs slipped a bit before she caught her balance, carefully moving on the grass. Her, she ducked behind a bush and undid the skates from her ankles and creeped along the outside of her house. Looking out the window, she saw the lights of the television dancing from the living room and a soft blue glow from her sister's room. She pushed the button of the earpiece and waited a second. Call Maya, she whispered. Two rings passed before her sister picked up the other end. You're home a bit late, she heard in the other end. She managed a soft laugh. Her sister's window opened, and a basket lowered attached to a rope. 
She placed her skates inside and took a breath before pulling herself up. She winced a bit from the pains along her body. She, gri <laughs> she gripped her along the rope to balance herself and worked her way up it gingerly. Ten o'clock, the voice whispered from the earpiece. I know, she managed as she pulled herself up the rope. She saw she was a few feet away from the window ledge. I need a bit of help in a second. He saw her sister lean out the window a bit and reach his hands out. Her hands out. That's getting changed right now. Originally, <clears throat> she's white. I told you you should wear a little bit more armor. Heard a whisper from the earpiece. I'm working on it, she muttered. Pulling herself up the last few inches, she gripped the window ledge and her sister's arm. She leaned in, pulling her arm. Cindy let out a small yelp as she felt her shoulder strain and yanked herself into his room. She then lay on the floor of her room, catching her breath. She pulled her up the rope that had the basket and looked back towards her. I guess someone had a rough night. I managed to get their guns from them, but one of them had a knife. Any shots go off? He didn't even pull it, she said, picking herself off the ground. She took off a backpack. Nine millimeter. Full clip. Maya picked up the Beretta. Ooh, nickel plated. I'll price it later. Maya smiles. She didn't see that the gun didn't seem to have gotten much use from its previous owner. She put it back on her bed. Police, Police band radio says, Cops got three men and mention your usual calling card. Any other news? Nothing lost. Just a few traffic stops. Time to get cleaned up, Cindy nodded. Cindy made her way to her room and grabbed her thick cotton bathrobe and some long pajamas. It would look a bit unusual to be dressed so warmly, but it would hide any scars. She threw them on her bed before reaching under it. Reached under her bed and pulled out a white plastic tackle box. She opened it to get some antiseptic and bandages. She quickly closed it and slid it under her bed. She rummaged through her makeup drawer and grabbed some cotton balls. Checking the clock on her wall, she had about a half hour to work with the cleaning and dressing her wounds. She rolled the bandages and other items in her robe and headed to the bathroom. In the shower, she ran the water and left it clean the dirt off her for a second before she addressed her wound. She cut above her knee wasn't as bad as it looked as she cleaned the blood. It was a razor-thin wound and would heal up in a few days. The water stung in her shoulder as she figured it's just a strained muscle. She'd make a mental note to get an ice pack from the freezer before she went to bed. She looked down at the light purple blotch under her breast. It still felt tender. She had worse. An ice pack and various vitamins for bed would take care of that. She carefully dried herself off and wrapped a towel round and round her long blonde hair. She took a hairdryer mounted on the wall and blasted it at the mirror to heat it up and clear a spot. Inspecting her face, she didn't see anything a little cover-up couldn't handle. She got herself ready to get in the living room by covering her bandaged leg with her pajamas and the robe. She walked to the kitchen and looked at the clock. She had plenty of time until she could watch the aftermath on the news. Cindy? Yes, Mom? Dear, what are you still doing up? I lost track of time studying and needing a shower, she giggled to herself. Sorry, ma'am, though your father and I don't want you to be up too late. I won't be, Cindy added. May I please get some ice water? Her father spoke up. 
you may. Straight to bed, young lady, her father piped up from the living room, slid a few ice cubes into her glass and glanced towards her parents. With the freezer door blocking a few from... She reached inside the freezer and grabbed a Ziploc bag of crushed ice she made earlier. Port cards are coming up, father said, as she slipped the ice pack inside the pocket of her robe, closed the freezer door, and pushed the button for some water. Yes, sir, Cindy called back. I'm sure I did well. The commercial for 7, 11 o'clock news started as Cindy peeked into the room. A woman dressed in a red business dress was sitting at a desk. Cindy bit her lip as she felt herself putting too much weight on her bruise and eased off a bit. Three men in police custody tonight by Keystone Bank. Are you safe going to your car at night? Pam Conway will be joining us from the scene in downtown Jonesboro in 30 minutes. The reporter continued. Young lady, her father sternly called out. She was then corrected from the living room by her father this time as she slammed the freezer door too hard. Good night to you both, she said as she poked her head into the living room for a second. After she saw that her glance didn't meet with either of her parents, she walked towards the her bedroom and closed the door after entering. Cindy took the makeshift ice pack out of her robe and placed it on the bed, placed the glass of water on her nightstand, shook the robe off, and quickly laid it across the bottom of the bedroom door, careful that no light could escape. She remembered the last time she was caught using the phone after bedtime. It was taken from her for a week. She turned off the light and connected to her sister's Wi-Fi. She sent. She went to the website for her local news station. She smiled as the website loaded on her phone. She saw a silhouette of a female figure, long hair and a white question mark for a face. Police capture hooligans at Keystone Bank. The headline below it read, she smiled as she plugged in a pair of headphones into her phone, placed the ice pack under her bruise. Five minutes before 11 o'clock wrote, she got a text from Maya. Mom and Dad going to bed. You need to see this. Cindy figured whatever price her sister was going to get for the guns could wait a few minutes. Her sister was always so excitable about her part in these adventures. Started when Maya started high school a few years back. When she, while she was younger, by two years, she was in the same grade as Cindy. Being in line to be valedictorian meant her parents let her stay up as long as she wanted. Too busy with work and more focused on grades, it was never difficult to hide things from them. For example, when Maya used to come home crying from being bullied, that stopped after Cindy accidentally walked in on her sister in the girls' locker room and saw she was bruised up good. The bully in question eventually told the teachers, lost a bicuspid and got a black eye as a result of she accidentally falling in a ditch behind the forest behind the school. <laughs> Terrible. Cindy was pleased the girl could follow instructions so well. Even so, Cindy helped found the school anti-bully initiative. She wanting to do more. Cindy and Maya eventually had a system and agreed to started acting on it for their senior year. For the last few weeks, Cindy would help patrol the city and Maya would help research and take a cut of the sale from selling the goods they found on the internet. Cindy started a couple of months ago and tonight it was a rare occasion as, after all, criminals don't normally attack as often as in comic books would lead one to believe. Cindy sipped from the water glass <laughs> oh, 
Hold on. Okay. Cindy, Cindy slipped from her water glass. The ice clinked against it in anticipation. Even the ice was excited for the story, hoping some action would happen again. As the news anchor introduced herself and covered the top stories, we'll be joining Pam in just a moment. First, I'd like to first warn our viewers. First, I'd like to first warn our viewers that should you see a crime taking place, the best course of action is to call the police and not to take matters into your own hands. She said as the scene switched to a color video of two masked men with guns drawn apart towards the door. The newswoman interrupted. What you are seeing here is footage obtained by CNN from the NYPD just moments ago. Cindy put the water glass back on the nightstand and swallowed hard. From the video... <laughs> from the video, a girl's voice called out, Ready? Let's go! The masked men waved their guns wildly. Who is that? A bang and a flash went towards the camera. The camera dropped a bit. Then the lights turned on. The sign on the wall read, Sparkling Sapphire Incorporated. Cindy saw a girl about her age walk out with her back to the camera. She had on some sort of purple cheerleading outfit with a white trim, her blonde hair in pigtails. The robbers were perplexed. A cheerleader... The cameraman was somehow able to maintain his balance as the video steadied itself. They both laughed. Relaxing their grips on the guns. Run on home, little girl, one of them said. Suddenly, the girl waved her arms, touching their hands. <coughs> Hold on a minute. Suddenly, the girl waved her arms, touching their hands. The guns went flying behind her. She jumped straight up about five feet and kicked one of them square in the chest. The masked man flew backwards as if he was pulled and crashed through a door. The alarm quickly went off. Screw this, the other masked man said as he turned to make a quick exit. She pushed him and he tripped over his friend. The head bounced off the sidewalk outside and he no longer appeared to be conscious. The girl flashed a grin at the camera. Spirit girl, guaranteed victory. Oh, God. She pointed at the camera with a flourish, and the footage cut out. Cindy couldn't believe her eyes. The scene went from a split screen of the newsroom in the Keystone Bank parking lot. Cindy was almost too astonished to see her tag in the parking lot and, and such the phone off as they interviewed the woman. Cindy moved her robe and carefully opened the door. Seeing the coast was clear, she went to her sister's room and closed the door. What was that? she asked. I'm trying to find out, Maya said as she reviewed the footage from the CNN website. Unless you somehow traveled to New York in the last hour. Do you think it was staged? Not if they go to jail, Maya said. Cindy leaned over to Sister Soda as they watched the video again. No, of course not. How long has this been online? About ten minutes, which is why I texted you. Yeah, Cindy's dead, still dumbfounded. Maya took the mouse and clicked on the news article about Cindy. Some people think you're somehow related. What was her name again? Spirit Girl? Cindy asked. Maya highlighted the name from an article and brought up a search. She already has a fan page. Doesn't everyone? 
Maya refreshed the page a couple of times, seeing her fans double and then triple. She scanned the page a bit more carefully. Seems she's been at this about a few weeks. This is her first video. We have to meet her, Cindy said. Starstruck much? Maya asked. New York is a big city, and even if we did find her, what makes you think we want to have a conversation? I have no idea, Cindy said. She didn't even wear a mask. I'm worried she'll be found out quickly if she isn't careful. How does she even get a cameraman there? Maya asked. Cindy looked at Maya with a bit of a grin on her face. The answer's still no, Maya said. All I have is my crappy camera phone. That crappy camera phone can get shot at then, Maya countered. Not my folk, the criminals don't stop and pose like idiots for you. Cindy dropped her head a bit and apologized. Maya assured her, I'll see what I can find out in the morning. We better get some sleep.